This is iFanboy, Pick of the Week, number 689, brought to you by iFanboy listeners, just like you. Episode 689, I'm Ryan Haup sitting in for Josh Flanagan, who was last seen putting on some crampons on his boot and saying, the ice calls me. We haven't seen him since, but uh, I'm here with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Thanks for coming again, Ryan. And last time I gave you, I think, 24 hours notice. This time it was 48 hours, so I'm improving, I think. It's hard to know when the ice is going to call Josh (laughs) and he's just going to leave us. Yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot about his ice call. So we are iFanboy, and every week we read our stack of comics, and one of us picks their favorite book, and we call that book The Pick of the Week. We talk about that book, other books from the week, the patron pick, and maybe if you have some time, we'll read some listener mail, and it's going to be fun. But it is a spoiler-filled discussion. We're discussing the uh, finale of an event this week, so especially if you haven't caught up on your event comics, I would recommend catching up on those or not worrying about it, because uh, just, you know, spoilers, they're not that bad. People, people forget about them. It's fine. Connor, this week, you had the pick. I did. It was The War of the Realms number six from Jason Aaron, Russell Dowderman, Matthew Wilson, and Joe Sabino. As you said, this was the wrap-up of the War of the Realms event, which has been going on for the last... Like, uh, this hasn't been double-shipped, so six months, I guess. I don't know how often the regular books have been coming out, because there have been so many ancillary books, and you're constantly reading them, that it's, it's, it's hard to tell exactly when the main event's coming out. But this is the final issue. We're also going to talk about Thor in a second, because those two books really overlap. Apparently, you're supposed to read Thor first, which I did not know. I, <laughs> I saw that this was the pick, so I just read this first. I always read the main book last, assuming that's how it goes. And then if it's different, I usually put a note in it. But there's really no way to know unless they tell you ahead of time. Yeah. But I always feel like it's safe to read the last one last because I feel like the main book is going to have the main points in it. The side book is Thor. Well, probably not. So that's just the way I, my brain works. And we've talked about this event quite a bit. Uh, a lot of these books or the times have been either pick of the week or heavily featured in the show. I think this has been a really fun story, whether or not it is quote unquote important, whether or not quote unquote it matters, whether or not quote unquote it has any impact on the industry. It was a really fun from uh, just a story standpoint. It had, it had stakes. It used all the characters really well. It felt like it was universe spanning. There was enough tie-in books that make it seem like it was a big deal. And I really just enjoyed this issue as much as I have any other issue of this series. As the story wraps up, and things happen that were totally expected, but they were fun. Things happen that were unexpected, and they were fun. And ultimately, I think fun is the watchword for this, as the three Thors plus Jane Foster come together to, to fight Malekith. And uh, we have a good old time. And then at the end, of course, as we expected, uh, Mjolnir returns to, uh, at the turn of the tide to save the day. And Thor is reunited with his hammer. I thought uh, this was terrific. I really did. I thought this whole event was great. And I thought this p- issue in particular was really, really fun. Yeah, I'd, I'd been reading the main book all throughout. I've gotten completely lost on which of the tie-ins I was supposed to be following. Yeah, that was a problem. That was a, that was a problem. I mean, even if you've only read this book, it doesn't take too long to figure out what's going on. I mean, the basic premise is that Malekith has cast some spell that 
only Thor can show up to fight him. And yep. so Thor's like, all right, well, I'm going to get some extra Thors. And then that's <laughs> what they do. Yeah. One of the highlights of Jason Aaron's Thor run was that God killer story in which the young Thor, came, old King Thor and, and current Thor teamed up. And so we have a return to that here. And that's fun. And then Jane Foster was technically Thor too. So she gets in on it too. And so you have four Thors. And then, as I said, Mjolnir comes back, but then the also the other big thing that happens in the final page as we head into Jason Aaron's final turn on Thor, and he's been doing it for years, uh, is that Odin abdicates the Allfather title to Thor. So now we have uh, Thor with one arm, Thor who is now Allfather, Thor with one eye, as he steps ever closer to the old King Thor that we've seen in his stories. Yeah. And, you know... Jason Aaron will write his story, it'll, he'll end his chapter, and then future writers can use this or not use this. I mean, you know, they won't, no one is locked into any future story for in, in comics. So this will be this is Jason Aaron's Thor story, and we can enjoy it, and then and then at some point we'll move on and reset Thor. But this is great. I thought also a highlight of this, in addition to Thor, was throughout this whole story, I thought Daredevil was terrific. Yes, I loved the the moment when he threw the sword. That was great. Ulfund is apparently Heimdall's sword. Uses Heimdall's sword like his billy club. Banks it off a couple of glaciers into the the mouth of the frost giant. Who is it Laufey? Uh, no, Laufey's dead, I think. Or is, it, that, is that Laufey? No, is that is that the same frost giant that Loki cuts himself out of later? Yes. Yeah, then that's Laufey. Because Laufey is Loki's dad, and he ate Loki at the beginning of all right, this. Right, so in the very beginning, he eats, he eats Loki. So in this... Daredevil banks the sword off a couple glaciers, goes in Laufey's mouth, and then a, a few pages later, Loki uses it to cut himself out of Laufey. He's partially digested. That was cool. It, I mean, this is mostly a Thor issue, but there was, you know, you still got the taste of other characters. I liked Frank Castle a lot as the field commander soldier who then, when the war ends, just walks away. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, we now know where Russell Dowderman stands on whether or not John Krasinski should play Reed Richards. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty, pretty obvious pull there. I thought, you know, it's always fun seeing a variety of Thor weapons. So I like that young Thor still is wearing or still using his Yarnbjorn, the, the bear axe and, yep. and can't fly because of that. So he has to ride his goat tooth gnasher. You know, I like that Jane has the war Thor hammer, but it's falling apart. Like it can barely hold itself together. All the energy with it. I wish she'd gotten kind of a war Thor redesign, but you know, Russell Donovan's doing a lot of work on this book. So yeah. I think asking for a redesign is probably asking for too much. I liked that the the sun reforged Mjolnir has a little bit different look. It looks a little bit rougher hewn. It doesn't look like the smooth, polished dwarven ooh that it was before. Mm -hmm. They fixed the pronoun on the inscription. Yeah, it's just everything about this was like, I don't know. It was big, fun, bombastic. It felt like it had stakes. It felt like it had impact. And it felt like setting Jason Aaron up to kind of complete the story he started telling with the God Butcher, which you said that was his you know, one of his standout arcs. That was also like his first arc on this book. Yeah, yeah. So it's just crazy. I, I think this Jason Aaron guy, I think he's pretty good at this. Where did Mjolnir's handle come from? That is a good question. I'm guessing it's part of Yggdrasil itself. I guess, yeah. I'm guessing it's part of the world tree. I mean... It looks like Groot. Yeah, Thor sacrificed his eye to Yggdrasil for wisdom. That is not what you sacrifice your eye to wisdom for in Norse mythology, but that's fine. I'll let that slide. You have to kind of... At least I do have to put... Away in my head, the annoyance that the things that happen in the movies affect the comics now. Well, Odin gave his eye to Mimer, the dwarf god for wisdom. And I understand it was more about echoing the look of Odin in the future than it was the films. But, you know, 
at some point they're gonna have to redo Thor. Yeah, I mean, at some point they'll. Pr- I imagine, you know, they'll do like a Donald Blake reboot, and that's how he'll get his arm back and his eye back because he'll transform back into Donald Blake, and those things will get fixed or whatever. They'll do something, but for now, it's it's fun. Feels like it has ramifications. Feels it feels important. Whether or not it ends up being important, it's still a really cool, fun story. Great visuals. I feel like we're living in the midst of a bit of a symbiote, a symbiote, 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 whatever the, the Venom thing is, Renaissance. Like, there's a lot of cool stories being told with that. You know, they do. Well, they are heading towards this goddamn Carnage event. Some that was teased in a couple of Marvel books this week, and it even teased here as Venom slinks away to get mm-hmm. ready for the coming of Carnage, and I could not care less about that. I don't care about that, but I, I like the idea, like there was the X-Men Blue where all the young X-Men got different symbiote suits that, mm-hmm. that helped with their powers, and I liked Malekith having his like Venom hammer. I don't know, I, it's dumb, and I think you know some authors pull it off better than others, but I just like the kind of blending of the different corners of the Marvel Universe into one weird oh, Absolutely. Thing. And I think a lot of people skipped this simply because these days events aren't in high regard but this one was not skip worthy and i think the reason why you knew that going into it was because it was being controlled by jason aaron and it was set in the thor world and this is his very comfortable home that he's been in for many years and if you did skip it this is a miniseries you can go back and get the couple of times are terrific but overall you get a really satisfying big thor story that ultimately used a lot of marvel universe and was a lot of fun. There's some the, the tie-ins were fun that w- that we read, and it could also just be looked at as another chapter in Aaron's Thor story, which is turning out to be quite epic. Even before it was epic, now it's really getting epic. Yeah, it's always been very metal. It's always been very metal, and this is like the penultimate chapter that brings everyone in to the point where he gets to then finish the story off. And then speaking of symbiotes, Thor fourteen, which Aaron wrote with guest art by Scott Hepburn features Venom on the cover, which I didn't notice before because I don't tend to look at the covers. And Thor dragging his hammer as it sparks. That's a really cool cover, actually. Who did that cover? That was Mike Del Mundo. I was surprised at how much this directly crossed over with Thor the Realms. And what I mean by that is scenes and dialogue was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So this was very much a... As a crossover issue sounds dumb, but it would sort of weave into War of the Realms. We've out again, we've back in, we've out again. It's sort of like young Thor's perspective on the same events that we saw in War of the Realms 6. Right. So instead of focusing on modern day Thor, this is focusing on Thor, the god of the Vikings. Right. And uh, I like that Reed and, and the Thing were the ones who went back in time or went through time to gather the Thors. That was fun. The reaction to them was fun. In this issue, he could they go back in time to get the young Thor who is impetuous, as we know, who is not worthy yet, who is young and just wants to drink and screw and fight with the Vikings, and he's a fun character. And then here, much more time is spent fighting Malekith's Venom-infused guards. Spartle Venom. Thought that was that was dumb. I didn't, I didn't like that. But <laughs> I know I just said a minute ago that I liked all Venom craziness, but I didn't need it to be called Spartle Venom. <laughs> that was just silly. I would say that if you're going to go for it, go for it. <laughs> True. That's that's a valid take on it. And Spartle Venom is dumb as in all things involving Venom are dumb. But hey, you know. What did you think of the Scott Hepburn art? I had kind of Ryan Otley vibes. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't bad. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Did you not like it? It was weird compared to <sighs> Russell Dowderman's art. I, I don't dislike it. I okay. like it. 
on its own, I don't know that it worked for me in this story as much. Like, I think he's very talented, and on another book, this would have been might have been really terrific. Marvel's been doing this a lot. Very indie vibe, very unusual. And there's other books this week. Actually, DC had one like this week like that. I feel like young Thor was always had this weird screwed up, screwy face on. Like he has, it was like he was always yelling, which is fine, but it always he always had like this weird pinched look on his face. I didn't dislike it. I want to make that clear. It just was very much not what I was expecting from the book. And when you contrasted it with Dowderman, it was um, very different. But good. But I, it took my brain a while to wrap my head around it. Yeah, I don't think I would have been able to put my finger on the indie nature of it. But now that you say it, I think you are correct. I mean, he has some spectacular pages here. I actually really like the full page where the four Thors are flying out to battle better than the one that Dowderman did. Even though the angle was more standard, I thought the character work was more dynamic. But then there's other pages where you're just like, why is Thor's face all screwed up? But it was also really interesting and fun. So I don't know where Scott Hepburn's come from. I'm sure he's got other work that I'm not not aware of. I I credit Marvel for putting guys like this on big books like this at big moments, even if this doesn't necessarily always work for me. But this was also a really good issue. Yes, I, I appreciated getting the other perspective. You know, one point... Young Thor is worthy enough to wield Mjolnir, but then tosses it back to Old King Thor, which is very reminiscent of a moment in Endgame, which was kind of fun. Yeah, so this is the moment where he becomes worthy. For a minute. It's it's unclear like if he went back in time right then and there, if he'd be able to pick up his own hammer from his own time. But that's okay. It's time, it's time travel. At the very least, he learns that he can be worthy. Yeah. And so even if he goes back home and still can't pick up Mjolnir, he knows that eventually he... A, he knows eventually he will because he sees the future of Thor's, but also he knows he can do it. He just has to get there mentally. I really liked... He doesn't even realize he's holding the hammer. He thinks he's just using his inherent lightning powers, but then he realizes he's focusing it through the hammer. And he's holding it and just kind of marveling at it. And Old King Thor says something you know, about him earning it, but then he says it's not heavy at all. It's actually lighter than air. And I really like that moment of, yeah. like, this thing that this guy's been obsessing over as this weight, this literal weight that he can't quite manage once he actually holds it. It's nothing. I just thought of something while you were talking. The, I, this may be looking too deep into what's going on, but it may the, it may be that the reason why there's so much literal crossover here between the War of the Realms and Thor is that in the future when they do the Jason Aaron Thor omnibus, it probably won't contain the War of the Realms, but it'll contain these Thor issues, and what happens in this story is, is important enough where it should be in that giant tome. Mm. So, it needed to also be in Thor. That might be the business reason why there was so much literal crossover between the two. Do you notice that in this issue, I mean, Thor is literally smoking from having just come out of the sun, but he also has no pants and is just holding a rag around his waist the entire time. And like actually holding it like in every shot (laughs) until he gets some proper clothes. He's just barely he's seconds away from showing us the full Thor. Yeah. In his older age, he's gotten a bit more modest. Yeah. This has been really good. I'm looking forward to, is it King Thor, the final? Yeah, story? yeah, that's good. So there's a couple different spinoff series coming out of this. We're getting a new Loki series. We're getting a continuation of Thor in Thor 15, but it looks like it's going to be back to our modern era Thor. We're getting a new book with Jane. Is that Valkyrie? Yes. Because all the Valkyries were killed during the War of the Realms, so it looks like Jane is going to take over as the new Valkyrie. And then, yeah, King Thor with uh, the return of Isad Ribic. I mean, when this is all said and done, well, obviously we'll talk about it as it happens, but when it's all said and done... 
it's quite an achievement, and, and that includes the War of the Realms event. Oh, and I think there's a Punisher book coming out of this as well. Yeah. I guess Punisher is going to stay in some sort of Asgardian kind of way, but whatever. Conan the Barbarian number seven was briefly, I think, pick of the week until I read the War of the Realms. This is our third Jason Aaron book. It was an all Jason Aaron week in terms of pick. At first, when I saw the title page, The Life and Death of Conan Part 7, I was like, oh, come on. But it's really just an excuse to tell these one-issue stories about Conan's life as he's being murdered by these death gods, whatever they are. And this is one of my favorite ones, as Conan gathers a team of racially diverse ladies of the night to help him on a mission. <laughs> you had to tread carefully in a couple different directions there. <laughs> and... uh and they become this sort of like badass little army that goes on a Conan revenge mission as he uses them as bait. But turns out that they are quite formidable themselves Formal, in yeah. terms of war and fighting. Subterfuge. I just love this. I thought this was terrific. Mahmoud Asrar on art. Matthew Wilson again on colors. I love the dynamic between Conan and the girls. They they all are obviously attracted to him, but he doesn't want anything to do with them because he's still mourning. What are her name? is Bellet. Bellet. I don't know how. Yeah, either pronunciations probably. Eventually, obviously, comes around on that because he's Conan. <laughs> well, but they all kind of fall for him in their own various ways. Right. Which was fun. Like the scene with the wolves. Yeah, it was great. They have their mission. They're successful. And then the girl's are like, hey, we're a great team. Let's just go. Let's go around the world and kick ass and have sex. And he's like, ah, I got to go be Conan. I got to go brood. Right. But they're all together. And I would love, I mean, I didn't read the Ballet series. But if you wanted to spin off these girls as a Conan spinoff, I'd read that. They're a fun group. It's the sort of thing where it's like, I'm glad they're out in the world and they could cross Conan's path again. That mm-hmm. That is fun. Yeah, I liked everything about this issue. I thought all the character designs were really interesting and cool. I thought the design of the ship that they have the final battle on was really neat. Yeah. Yeah, Broody Conan is just great. I don't know. Conan is such like, probably by design, very similar to a character like Jonah Hex, where you kind of always know what Conan's going to do. Right. Like, he's always going to do the morally right thing by his own barbarian code. Mm-hmm. He's going to get with the ladies, but then he's going to leave to go off on his own solo adventures and do whatever the next thing is. Right. And it's super consistent, but done well. It's just, there's nothing more fun. And actually in a weird way, it's there's more parallels now that I think about it, because in the Jonah Hex series, we had flash forwards to the future. We knew what his ultimate fate was. We knew he had a kid. And so it was always sort of heading that way. And that's similar with Conan. In that we know he ends up as King Conan, we know he ends up with the sun. How he gets there, we're not quite sure. And so it's very... Actually, you're right, it's very, very similar to Jonah Hex. Just with swords instead of guns. I, I think this book's been great. We've talked about it a lot. Mahmoud Ashrar art is terrific. You know, he's really good at sexy ladies. He's really good at fight scenes. And that's basically what you need for a Conan book. And the one-page wolf fight was good. The pirate fight, when everybody gets involved, was great. The makeover scene... The makeover scene. <laughs> Where they're getting ready to infiltrate the boat, and they're like, Conan, you look gross. we got to clean you up a little bit, buddy. I like that he's kind of like this... He's kind of this barrel-shaped guy, even though he's very tall. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got this sort of squat head. He's He's got this real giant body without being, like, completely unrealistic. It's kind of a uh, Khal Drogo-y. But thicker. Which I guess Jason Momoa did play Conan in a movie that no one saw. I tried to watch that movie. I really tried. It was. It's not good. It's not a good movie. But this has been great. This has been really great. This series. Are you reading the novella in the at the back? I don't have time for novellas. Black Starlight. No. Yeah, I'd like to. <laughs> I can't delete the issues from my device because I've got those couple of pages left to go, and my comic book completionist brain won't let me just say goodbye to it. 
I got books to read and shows to do. I don't have time for novellas. <laughs> I'm sure it's good, but this has been a great. This has also been a great series. Again, like Thor, this is the right tonal vein for Jason Aaron. He's been great for this book. I don't know what the plan is for this book. I don't know how long it's going on. I know with great fanfare they launched it, plus a bunch of side books. Don't know how it's doing. Now he's showing up at the Marvel Universe, right? Well, he, he was briefly in the Marvel Universe. Is that already over? Yeah, that happened in the Avengers, that weekly book, whatever it was called, No Road Home, I think. And then I think there was a, wasn't there like an Avengers team that he's part of? I don't know, but he's... Savage Avengers, yeah. I think? I don't know what the plan is. For now, I'm enjoying this book. I mean, it's not going to go on forever. It's not going to be Star Wars. I'm liking it. I guess whatever the next license they get, they put Jason Aaron on that too. Let's talk about Doctor Strange. The storytellers were Barry Kitson and Mark Wade uh, with Finishes by Scott Koblish. And boy, mm. were they. Was it very Scott Koblish heavy? Yeah, it just, it barely looks like Kitson, if I'm being honest, mm. the art. It's much rougher and sketchier than I would ever expect from someone like Kitson to the point where He's I He's very know. not bad at all. Yeah, so I don't know if this book, if they're just running a little bit behind schedule, and so they're just trying to, to keep it on... Whereas Koblish is like that, so it sounds like it, it might have been a time thing, but also like he did the breakdowns. Yeah, maybe. Or, the, or, the, or really rough roughs, and then Koblish finished them. It's just, it's very unclear where the art is coming from. <laughs> I appreciate that Mark Wade wants to credit the artist as a storyteller. I think that's a valid choice, but mm -hmm. it does lead to some ambiguity in the actual production of the book which maybe that's none of my business i just but you know yeah curious i'm curious when a book looks the way it does how did it get to look that way sure barry kitson is an artist i really like and he was doing most of the heavy lifting earlier in this story arc and so it's just kind of interesting to have it shift it could have just been a time they could just run out of time yeah which is fine fair enough so the story here is basically a different planets are you reading this connor no i'm not josh is so so a different planet's Sorcerer Supreme saw that Galactus was coming for his planet and thought, ah, I have a clever idea, and banished Galactus to the magic realm. Mm -hmm. And so now Galactus, this being of science, is trapped in a realm of magic, but he still hungers. Now he started eating up all this magical energy, and it's screwing everything up. And so now you've got magic Galactus, mm -hmm. and that's not supposed to be a thing that exists. And so Doctor Strange is just scrambling to deal with this. And it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. For a minute, uh, Doctor Strange was the Herald trying to find him a world with enough magical power, but not enough sentient life that Galactus could feed without actually killing anything. But it turns out that, that was a trap laid by Dormammu, and now Dormammu has fused with Galactus, and we have the dread Galactus. And uh, it's sort of like what I was saying with you know Venom Malekith. It's just like taking one you know one ingredient from the Marvel universe and dropping it in a different space and having fun with it. It's interesting the idea that, I, and I this might be something Josh brought up. I can't remember, but Galactus used to be something you never showed up, and when he did, it was a big deal. And now he's been like in like every book we've ever, yeah every Marvel book I've read in like the last couple of years. At some point. You know, he, he just had a big arc in Fantastic Four, and before that, he was in another book. I can't remember what it was. And then he was in that Avengers book that was like all the all the, Mar all the Marvel Avengers, all the Marvel named Avengers. And he was a big deal in that book too. Like, it is interesting how he's no longer looked at as like the oh shit moment character. He's just now sort of regularly. He's always in the Silver Surfer story. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just interesting the way they've changed the way they use him. It's almost like if the Joker was in every book on in DC. Yeah. Well, I think it ebbs and flows. That, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, I'm not necessarily criticizing. I'm just saying it's interesting how they've changed that perspective on him. I would say this issue was fun and interesting most of the way through, but then towards the end, Eternity and the uh, Living Tribunal both show up, and it goes pretty off the rails, and I don't really know what happened 
in the last five or six pages. And so somehow Dr. Strange gets together all of the most powerful sorcerers, which makes sense if you're going to tackle, you know, Galactus Dormammu combo, 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 combo. Combo makes sense too. Yeah. If you have Dormammu, then it's a combo. Right. Yeah. If you want to make a nice dashi broth. But then, you know, Dr. Strange is like, I don't know if all these sorcerers are going to be enough. And they're like, well, how about all these other people? And all the other people who show up are not like magic characters. So it's, you know, Gladiator from the X-Men comics. It's Black Bolt. It's a version of Captain Marvel. It's Nova, which as far as I can tell, there isn't a Nova right now. No, there is. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. But it's the Sam Alexander costume. It's the Black Helmet. Uh. Whatever. It's like Super Scroll, it's Hulk, it's which again, the Hulk and Silver Surfer, I guess those are defenders, but there's no Namor. It's just, it's weird. Like, it's this weird assortment of characters. I don't yet see, maybe it'll be in the next issue, an explanation for why this group of characters showed up, but it just seemed like it was a random smattering of characters, and now there's going to be a big fight. But I just, I don't know, the, the end of the book really kind of left me confused and unsure what's actually going on anymore. Not everyone returns Doctor Strange's call. <laughs> he only gets those who like him. Unlike Thor, everybody returns Thor's call when there's a big cosmic event. But because Thor's fun, he's not a dick. Dial H for Hero number four. Sam Humphrey's uh, joke. Can you know We've talked about this before, but I really wanted to highlight that Joe Kinones does like five art styles in this issue. And part of the fun has been watching him do different art styles when the different heroes appear when they dial the dial. But this issue was ridiculous. And this issue featured Tom Fowler inks, I assume, on the Ice Cream Man character. Or I guess it could also be on Chip Change. But I think it it looked more like Ice Cream Man. It's probably one of those two. Like, there was one page where he did, like, five different styles within four panels. And I think it's important to point out that Chimp Change is if Sin City was set in Gorilla City. And that's amazing. Yeah, so as we talked about before, you have the... The telephone, when you dial H, you gain superpowers and a superhero identity that's never existed before, and it goes away at the end. So there's Chimp Change, the Sin City Gorilla, then there's Ice Cream Man, who is this sort of like a late 80s, early 90s Vertigo-esque superhero character. Or like kind of a Mobius. Yeah. And there's Lil Miguelito, who is like a uh, newspaper comic strip character. Yeah, Sunday Funnies, sort of a Calvin. But every time Miguel, I believe, is the regular character, yeah. he's... He's annoyed that this is his superhero identity, sort of the family circus, Charlie Brown, yeah. wholesomeness. And so he keeps hitting H, but he keeps just getting different comic strips plugged <laughs> into the character. So he ends up as like a higher of the horrible type and then gets Kathy. Uh, gets Kathy Ack. It's, it's kind of a dumb bit, but I really enjoyed it. I liked it. It was funny. And I, I just really, from an art standpoint, a tour de force performance. Incredible. Yeah. He can ape so many styles. I mean, he has his standard superhero style, which is obviously the driving force of the book, and he's terrific as that. I, I like his style a lot. But to see him sort of seamlessly do all these different styles, and this is not easy for an artist to do, especially when you're trying to fly through a book in a month to have to stop and draw a different way than you're used to. Every page is a lot of work. I mean, it's got to be like switching languages yeah. or like. Or playing, you know, you play basketball for a quarter, but then you have to play baseball for an inning and then go back to basketball. Like, it's, you know, yeah. it's a full switch. Yeah, your brain is used to doing something one way, and it has to go another. It's, it's hard. But also, the story's really fun. In this issue... Snapper car. Miguel and his lady friend, who may or may not be a romantic love interest... Summer is her name. I think. ...are on the run because this other guy wants the, the H dial, and so they end up at the Just League Detroit headquarters, which 
I didn't realize there was a Justice League Detroit the New 52 because there wouldn't be time for them, but whatever, who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Nothing makes sense. It's Snapper Cars there, but nobody else. So he has all these Batman-designed Justice League robots there who are all basically mostly the, the Justice League from Keith Giffen, J.M. Matias's era, plus some of the Justice League Detroit characters, plus just like Superman. But like Fire and Ice and Black Canary's 80s costume and Booster Gold and Dr. Fate, and those are all from J.M. Matias's run. And... uh and then the, the, you know, Guy Gardner and people like that. It was a lot of fun to see these dressly robots running around and dealing with the problem along with these, you know, Sin City-esque character. And plus the writing style changes. You know, if you're following the Sin City-esque character, you get the Sin City-esque uh, voiceover. And this is a lot of fun. This is a six-issue miniseries, I believe. It's just incredibly enjoyable. I'm excited whenever it comes out. Yes, I am having a lot of fun with it. Quick break to talk about iFanboy and how you can help as we enter the summer months. Maybe you want to reassess how you support your various podcasts. The main way to do that is patreon.com slash ifanboy. And actually, after last week's show, we had a nice little uptick in support there. We reached the next plateau, not quite the next stretch goal, but the next plateau on the way to the stretch goal. So if you've thought at all about supporting the show, if even just 20 of you support us at the $20 level, we'd hit the next stretch goal. Certainly, there's no requirement. But if you want to do that, the next stretch goal is a monthly non-comics media podcast. And also, we will upload all the missing full-length and mini-video shows we did a while back to our YouTube channel so that all of our videos will be on YouTube and available to watch. There's a lot of them that are missing. So if we'll do hit the next stretch goal, we'll do that. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. iFanboy.threadless.com is our t-shirt store with our seven designs, iFanboy logo, Herm. Pickling podcast ratings of one of the luck show GDAT. And nothing makes sense, nothing matters. And actually, a slight movement on the next design. Our design idea sketch was submitted to our graphic artists that we hire to do some of the more complicated shirt designs. Whether or not that will come out soon is a question, but at least there was some movement on it. There may be another design coming soon in the future. iFamily.com slash support is where you can help us out directly via PayPal. You can make a donation if you don't want to become a patron or buy a shirt, which is totally fine. iFamily.com slash Amazon is where you can buy the books we talk about on Booksplode as well as the general Amazon link is there as well. We thank everyone who helps us out in all the various ways that keep the lights on, keep the bills paid, keep the show going. We do appreciate that very much. I mean, it's hot. You might not want a shirt. There's tank tops there, too. You can, you can get all kinds of things going there. You can get a shower mat after your nice cool-down shower, after a run or whatever, because it is so hot in the Northeast. Yeah. That's good. It's a good call. It's not just shirts. It's all kinds of things you can get the designs on. Fair enough. Get a Nothing Made Sense, Nothing Matters bath mat so that every time you leave the shower, you're reminded about the futility of life. I don't think I need to see that while I'm naked. <laughs> Throwing that out there. Runaways. Runaways number 22, story by Rainbow Rowell, art by Andres Genelet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really wanted to put this on there because I read it early in my rotation because I really like it and I'm still really enjoying it. And I'm surprised that, you know, a book... From the early 2000s, a Brian K. Vaughan original creation has had the staying power that it's had and has had kind of this now 22-issue revitalization with one author all the way through. And it's just, it feels modern. It doesn't feel dated. It feels really fun. In this issue, Carolina has decided she wants to get back into superheroing, but because she's a teenage girl, she tries to catch a falling window cleaner and she's not strong enough to really lift him that hmm. well because she's kind of she can fly but she's like hasn't been working out or whatever right and so like it's just sort of some funny considerations of superheroing that you don't often think about you know she's really ecstatic after she saves the guy and she's like 
kind of manic and rambling and the painter guy is like please just leave (laughs) just leave me alone like you've done enough (laughs) um they've added gib to the team who is one of the the children of the elder gods that their parents were originally going to sacrifice Mm -hmm. the sex worker to in the first arc and so now he's also kind of part of the runaways team and so they've got a new kind of outsider that they have to teach the ways of the human world and there's a lot of relationship drama between chase and gert and there's actually a pretty interesting exploration of the fact that Chase, who's now 20, pulled his same age girlfriend at the time out of the past. So his girlfriend is now 16 and he knows that that's inappropriate. But like in his mind, he wasn't doing that because it was inappropriate. He was doing it because he cared about this person. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of doing the mental math of like, but in four years, this won't matter. But also, is that inappropriate to be thinking that way? And it's sort of a question that I think a lot of young adults have to at least consider at some point in their life, but to throw in superheroic soap opera drama and time travel just makes it fun and funky. And so, yeah, it's cool. It's interesting that there's a era of comics that early two thousands era that were a bunch of new Marvel characters, especially sprung out of that stuck. You have runaways and yeah. young Avengers and characters like that, that came around or however many years ago that was. And usually these characters don't stick around, but for whatever reason, that time and place, the character artists and writers working on those characters made an impact and those characters stuck around. It's interesting. It looks like the next story is going to be Victor. They've tried to bring back Doombot. They had like a, a sentient Doombot that was kind of part of their group and he got messed up and now they're trying to put him back together. But his consciousness is all screwy. So Victor, the son of Ultron, has had to go into Doom's subconscious. And so the art style changes. And I think the next issue is going to be taking place in the robotic mind. Mm. So it's cool. It's just good. It's just a fun soap opera. You know, it doesn't stick with any one two story for too long. Every character gets a little bit of time to do something. And uh, yeah, it's just well done. Did you read The Amazing Spider-Man 24? I did. I kind of burned out on the hunt. So I actually have a few issues to catch up on. But I went ahead and just jumped in, jumped in and read this issue. It was interesting because so this is the return of Ryan Otley after uh, the hunt story. This is our sort of epilogue to the hunt plus prologue to Kindred. I guess is the next villain. What was interesting about it was that most of it was inked by Mark Morales, who's a terrific inker, one of the best inkers working comics, but I don't know that his style worked with Ryan Otley. I mean, you can still see it was Ryan Otley very clearly, but it was also very much Mark Morales. And so at first I was like, what happened to Otley? And then I looked back at the credits page and saw it was Morales. And then at the end, Cliff Rathburn did some of it. and That looked much more like traditional Otley art. But it was interesting to see how a different inker than has done basically all of Otley's career changed the way his art looked, which is what inkers sometimes do. Of course, Mysterio's in this because the Spider-Man movie comes out next week with Mysterio in You it. say of course, but traditionally they have not been able to actually time it out this well, where like the oh, character... always, always. Especially with Marvel. They're very good at making sure that the movie villain is in the book during the time the movie comes out. A lot of my non-comics reading friends are very confused by Mysterio. I've tried to explain Mysterio a couple of times. I'm like, no, he's a special effects guy. Well, give him this issue because he basically goes through his entire history here. <laughs> but they're like, but in the trailer, they make him look like a weird Thor Iron Man. I was like, yeah, it's a trick. Like, he's not special effects. That's his thing. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the trailer yet. I mean, I like Mysterio. He's ridiculous in that 60s Marvel way. He's got the giant helmet. And I'm glad to see they haven't really fucked up his costume all that much. Like I said here, he's, he's talking to psychiatrists, so he goes through his whole history, how he came around originally versus Spider-Man, then he switched over to Daredevil in the Kevin Smith run, then he, then he died at the end of that run, but he didn't really die because he's Mysterio. 
and he's not quite sure if he died, went to hell, and was resurrected in hell, or if he actually didn't die, but he, you know, he had a, like a like a psychic break. But then um, we see that the character called Kindred, who apparently resurrected him from hell, has, has returned. He's been a sort of, of lurking in the background of Spider-Man's story for a while. Finally, reveals himself, and Peter's having nightmares again. He had the nightmare about Mary Jane dying before, and so now. We, you know, we're set up for the next arc. This is an important bridge issue, but it's basically a, a kickoff issue. You could skip if you wanted to, but I, I don't know why you would, because it was pretty good. Stress dreams are no fun. Well, especially with that many bugs in them. That doesn't bother me as much. Well, yeah, it wouldn't bother you, but I think an overwhelming number of bugs is stressful. Fair enough. This is a book I don't think we've ever talked about on the show before. Yeah, I don't think we have. I went ahead and snagged Rick and Morty number 51. This is not a book that I read regularly, but when I saw the name of the writer i was like mm-hmm. oh this is kyle starks this is a story by Kyle starks art by mark ellerby and ian mcginty colors by sarah stern and letters by crank i enjoy the rick and morty television show i've never berated a mcdonald's employee for their lack of szechuan sauce but so maybe i'm not a real fan okay. i enjoy the show i generally enjoy dan Harmon's writing and so i thought since kyle starks is a writer i also enjoy let's get his take on these characters and what was interesting was Kyle Starks does a very good job of matching the tone of the show. I think sort of the frantic pace of the dialogue is hard to do in comics just because of the way that panels flow from panel to panel. But by and large, like all the characters matched what you would expect from the show in the way they were written. There were weird issues with the art. A lot of the characters were seemed to me off model for most of the book. Hmm. So was it not drawn in the art style of the cartoon? No, it clearly was trying to do that, but for some reason, other than Rick, every character just looked a little bit misshapen Hmm. and not always super consistent from panel to panel. And I don't, you know, like, again, I'm not not an artist. This is not meant, like, it's not to say I could have done this better, but it's just interesting when a show is animated, so you have moving versions of these characters that are, by their nature, kept very consistent from frame to frame yeah. to not necessarily be able to do that in a comic was surprising. Yeah. I mean, especially with a book based on visual characters that have already an art, art not, not even just actors, but characters who are drawn in their original medium. Yeah. So there, I mean, so there are some panels where it's fine, but uh, it was inconsistent and it was inconsistent in a way that was distracting the second artist for the second little shorter story. That art actually, was more stylized to that particular artist and less trying to ape the style of the show. Mm-hmm. And it was a little looser. And I actually think it just worked better just because they weren't trying mm-hmm. to do exactly the show. Right. So this issue was not bad. It was not nearly as enjoyable as an episode of the show just because comedy is harder to do in comics, I think, or can be harder to do in comics. Kyle Stark is a person who can do it pretty well. The one thing I'll, I'll say is it's interesting that with books based off of properties like movies we often have complaints about to what degree do you try to trace the you know harrison ford right right and it's interesting that that's also an issue when the original product is an animated tv show right all right well let's stay Speaking in of harrison ford star wars corner which josh dragged me to last week star wars corner age of rebellion darth vader number one with written by new star wars book writer greg pack greg Puck. this was i guess these are all taking place during the same relative period of time. Mm -hmm. So this is when Darth Vader is still working for Palpatine and under any of the various Empire's generals. The Moths. 
Yeah, I don't know if this guy is actually a moth. So essentially the story in this book is Vader gets told to follow the orders of this dude. The dude very much enjoys putting Vader into incredibly dangerous situations, just kind of knowing that Anakin at this point is a tank and cannot be killed. Mm -hmm. And so like at one point there's a world where droids have been fighting each other and every time they get destroyed they kind of like partially rebuild themselves using better parts from the droids they've killed so it's Mm -hmm. like this world of evolving killer droids Mm -hmm. and so like vader gets sent down there and he keeps getting sent into these terrible situations where it's all up to him you know the general pull all the forces back except vader and at one point the general gives an ambiguous order about like destroy the deadliest thing in this system or destroy the most dangerous thing in this system, the greatest threat. Mm -hmm. And so you think Vader's going to go destroy this giant space crab, but then he turns on the general and kills the general because to Vader, that general is the bigger threat than the space crab. So then that is how Vader takes over the star destroyer that he was stationed on. Interesting. Yeah, it was fine. (laughs) Have you been reading all these Age of Rebellion books? No, we talked about this last time I was on the show. I read the ones for the characters that interest me, and my takeaway from all of them so far has been like, okay, that was fine. In none of them has the character featured. I mean, obviously, they're not going to go through like any substantial character change or growth mm-hmm. or arc because they can't. Um, so it's usually just got to be a fun, quick little story, and by and large, that's what they are, and I'm I'm fine with it, but nothing about it is particularly exciting or revelatory. But hasn't the, the latest... A uh, batch of books been all like major, like Lando and Boba Fett and Luke and yeah, Prince and Leia. I, 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 so I I go ahead and get those because like I said I'm interested in the character, but just based on my reading schedule uh, and I do things differently than you, I read the books that I'm most excited about first, and mm-hmm. then the books I'm less excited about later because the odds of me making it through my entire stack in a week is low. Sure, you're normal. That's why. Just by noticing that, I noticed that I have a fair number of these that are Mm. partially or completely unread just because they're low enough in the stack that if I don't get to them that week, they tend to just knock it red right away. So, like, I guess, you know, I'm still interested enough to get them, but not interested enough to, like, eagerly read them up right away. Are you still reading the main book? I'm behind on it. I want to catch up after what Josh said about the end of Kieran's run last week. So I'm going to try and do that before... Greg starts his new... So what do you think about Greg Pop being the new writer, then? If these haven't super thrilled you. I really like him as a writer, though, so yeah. I really like that... Was that Kid Robot book he did? Uh, big yeah. Six. That's yeah big, no, no, that one. Yeah, I know. We talked about it. <laughs> so that was great. You know, he's done a lot of really good stuff on Hulk over the years. Matt Cadet U. Matt Cadet U. He did a great run on Batman Superman. So, like, he's written a lot of stuff that I've enjoyed. I will definitely read the first issue, but I've even struggled a little bit with some of Kieran's work on this title. I think Kieran's a very smart and talented writer, but every once in a while I can get lost in the inner workings of Kieran's mind. Sure. <laughs> um, so, which I think is, you know, true of anyone who's read enough of Kieran's work, especially his indie stuff. I will check out the, the first Greg Pak issue. If I'm not feeling it, I am at a point where I can probably say goodbye to the main Star Wars book. All right. So those are the books we're going to talk about. If you go to patreon.com, Slash iFanboy, as I mentioned earlier, anyone who's a patron can vote to add a book to the rundown. We call it the patron pick. This week was a week in which votes were spread out amongst a lot of books. Therefore, the winner wasn't an overwhelming winner as we've had in the past. That winner was the Spider-Man Annual Number 1, written by Jason Latour, with, I'm assuming, plot helped by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller in one of the stories. Art by David LaFuente and Jason Latour. There were two different stories. And these were two... Short stories starring Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham, made famous by the, uh, the Spider-Verse film, the Oscar-winning film. I'm not crazy. This took place in that world, right? As far as I can tell, yes. Okay. 
That's what I thought. So now as a kid, and we might have talked about this during the Spider-Verse review, but as a kid, I read the Spider-Ham comics and was a big fan of them. I loved him in the film. For some reason, I was just utterly bored by this book. <laughs> this book, yeah, it, it really tried to cram a lot in, and I don't know that it necessarily benefited from it. Yeah. Every once in a while, an idea or a gimmick would get me enough that I would chuckle, but it felt longer than it needed to in most respects. It's good to look at. It's a good, fine-looking book. Yeah, I felt like maybe since they only had this one issue, they basically tried to put all the major Spider-Ham characters into it, plus a few new ones, and it just felt like it was a constant sort of barrage. And I was trying to figure out why it was that I really enjoyed them as a kid, but not now, and I, I guess the easy answer is I'm not a kid. I also think the style of writing was different. You know, that the 80s was a good time for humor comics, and this is more like, you know, how all modern comics are. There's There has to be some explanation for the goofy characters. It can't just be the, their world. They have to sort of examine it. And so then one of the stories where Spider-Ham ends up at a bar with uh, Howard, Howard, Howard the, the Duck, Duck during one of those big crossover events where the serious characters are fighting the silly ones, and they have to sort of examine their place in the world. And it's, it just... It's like, I don't really need a a deep dive on Spider-Ham, you know? Yeah. Just tell a Spider-Man story where they're all happen to be animals. That's basically what the old book did. I did really enjoy Parker Peterman, a version of Peter Parker who got the six arms mm-hmm. and just went public with it immediately and so became a, a hero that everyone loved. And then to maximize his efficiency, he taught each of his hands a different skill. That was my favorite bit. And, and yeah. so when he saves Spider-Ham from being stepped on... He's holding up the leg, but also whittling. That was funny. right. That, that to me, I was like, okay, that's adjacent. Like, I don't think, I don't think the normal Peter Parker from Queens is going to get into whittling. But if right. Jason Latour's writing the book, you're going to get wrestling and whittling, which right. is, <laughs> which is like, I have no problem with because it's hilarious. It's to me very funny. Uh, it's a nice little southern southern flavor for <laughs> for Spider Man. But yeah, I, I loved that page of like science, art, exercise, recycling, and wrestling, <laughs> and then still whittling when he catches the the foot. As you said, it looks really good. David LaFuente did the main story. He's terrific. I don't know the last time I saw him. He's great. Jason Latour did a cartoony style for the second story, which really worked. And I actually liked the second story more, which was the shorter one, which Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were credited as writers. Which I'm sure they were plotters, but who knows. I like that one more, the Howard story, even though, that, as I said, that was kind of annoying to me. I thought... As a story, it was less overwhelming than the first one, which just felt like... It wasn't as all over the place. Constant yeah. barrage of characters and situations. So in the end, I didn't really enjoy the experience of reading it, which is my overall take on it, just because it just was, felt like it was a lot. Ratings. Let's do ratings on it. Ratings out of five uh, for the Spider-Man annual number one. I will give it... Uh, I'm between two and a half and a three. So I guess I will go 2.75, I guess. That's fair. I'll match you there. 2.75 for Spider-Man annual number one. It wasn't a chore to read, but I didn't really get much from it. I felt like the first half was a little bit of a chore for me. There were periods of slogginess to me in the first story, but it wasn't overall slog. Plus, it was really great to look at. I probably could have gotten more enjoyment out of it by not re- actually reading the dialogue and just following the art. Sticking with it? Mm, well, there's no reason. It's just <laughs> the one issue. So that was the patron pick, patreon.com slash ifanboy, where anyone can vote to add a book to the rundown, but if you give it the $5 or higher level, you get your own superpower live on the show, and that's how we thank our patrons who do that. Let's thank our first one, Rob Poole, and I don't know if I've done this one before, it's possible, but uh, I feel like it's useful and I actually need it myself. 
Rob Poole can touch any edged blade and it becomes perfectly sharp. So how like how dull doesn't matter. Could it doesn't matter. So okay, here's what I'm thinking. Like you're talking about like ancient ruins. Or I was actually thinking ceremonial swords where it's it's you know built to be a sword but has never been sharpened and other than to the point at the end the edge has no actual blade to it. It's just a piece of metal. He returns it to its original sharpness. It's peak okay. it's peak original sharpness. So if okay. if it's a blade never meant to be sharp and it was not made that way then it wouldn't it wouldn't sharpen. It might he might return it to its peak form, but he can't turn a non-edged blade edged. Now what to what degree does that make him the rightful ruler of England? I mean, he's got a claim. Okay. But so he finds uh, you a know, sword in a lake. Come over, comes over to your house, can go to your kitchen, sharpen all your I would, all your kitchen I would love blades. That. That'd be great. You know, he can do it all. Just by a touch. Before you go to battle, he can just walk down the Braveheart line touching all the swords. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Does it actually like sharpen it in the way that if I sharpened it it would be removing tiny flecks of metal? So like is is the blade getting ever so slightly smaller every time he does it? No, no. It's magical. It, okay. It's magical. It returns it to its original sharpness. That's great. Because yeah. if I had this power, I think I would, and, it, and that was the way it worked, I'd eventually just have nothing but tiny little paring knives because I would keep sharpening them. Right, every time I used it. Yeah. What about like a vegetable peeler? Anything. Okay. Anything with cutting edge. I'm stalling. <laughs> 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 um, well, Michael Gordoner, mm-hmm. uh, what Michael can do is morph into any animal that he has touched for up to two hours oh okay is it his choice or does he be, become like a puppy if he's holding no, he has a puppy? to choose it's a, it's perfect it's there there are younger listeners than than you connor probably recognizing that i'm pulling this one directly from the animorphs young adult book series mm. so essentially he has to he has to have touched that animal a living version of that animal in real life so, like, if he wanted to morph into a tiger, he would have to have touched a living tiger to absorb its DNA. Right. And then he could he can morph into it for two hours. If he stays in the morph for longer than two hours, he gets stuck as that animal forever. It's exactly that animal or, or his version of that animal? It's that animal's DNA. So, like, if he had a sloth with an amputated arm, mm-hmm. if he morphed into that sloth, the sloth would have both arms because it's based on the DNA, not the physical st- state of that animal. Right, so but he doesn't become like a talky tawny version of a tiger. He becomes the actual tiger. Nope. Yeah, he becomes an actual tiger. He would not be able to speak when in tiger mode. But he can roar. He can roar, but everyone everyone per- would perceive him as just a tiger. And I assume he has his consciousness, um, so he doesn't necessarily eat humans. There'd as be an urge. Tiger. Sure, but like he wouldn't be like a danger to you if he was like on your team, your super if- team. If he'd practiced enough that he could control it, but like maybe the first time he becomes a tiger, like he accidentally gives in to the animal instincts and, and eats a bird or something like, it, you know, it takes it, it's a skill that he has to develop. Sure. Well, bird is one thing like you're just you're, like the animal. Well, he really chairman, like the chairman of your super team is another thing. Unless your chairman's the bird. Yeah, it's Hawkman. Or it's what was that? What was that? Beak? Who was the one on X-Men? Beak, I believe, was the X-Men character. Yep, who was getting chased by Beast. So a very similar... You know, I, there, are, there are many important things in my life I can't remember, but I can pull Beak out of the recesses of my brain. <laughs> and, I can, and when you say Beak, I can remember the exact scene where Beast is chasing him for training purposes to try to get him to fly. Greg Small has an aura about him in which when he enters a space, he revives houseplants. Ooh. Come by, Greg. So... And it's not temporary. He revives them. Like, they're revived. So, like, 
It's a indist it's an indistinguishable amount of space. It's not like he. It's not like all the house plants in the block are revived, but like you know, in we'll say a good fifty feet radius, every all the house plants in that in that region are revived. Much like the blade sharpening to their peak point. That's great. They flower yeah. even if it's not spring. Like they all sort of come alive as much as they can. We have a north-facing apartment, mm. um, so all of our windows are north-facing, which means we never get direct sunlight through the windows. That has made my wife's desire to have indoor houseplants quite a challenge because we have very limited light conditions under which only certain kinds of plants can thrive. So we could really use a, a plant refresher. Call Greg over. We also have two poinsettias that refuse to die. Well, some of them are <laughs> tough bastards. <laughs> Apparently you have to like put them in darkness to get them to turn red again. So now it's just like this green Christmassy plant taunting me all year round. Come take care of it, Greg. No more stalling. Gunny Adam has the power of instant fermentation. Okay. So anytime you have a product that you would like fermented, Gunny can touch it and it'll happen instantly. So mm -hmm. if you chop up, if you chop up a bunch of cabbage and you think, ah, oh, I really don't want cabbage. I want sauerkraut. You put it in a fermentation vessel. Gunny touches it. Boom. Instantly sauerkraut. You want to make some beer, hmm. get your wort going, add your hops, and then uh, throw in the, the... There has to be, like, yeast there. Like, you can't just magically make the yeast appear. But assuming you've set up the ferment to run properly, sure. all he has to do is touch it, and it'll it'll finish the ferment. Like, if you want to... If you need to proof some dough for a loaf of bread you're working on, you don't need to let that set out on the counter overnight. You just have gun to come by and touch it. It's ready. It's ready to be baked. So he's a gun for hire in the in the craft beer industry, then. Craft, I mean, craft beer, wine, liquor, pickles, any kind, you know, any kind of pickle you're interested in, certain kinds of hot sauces, sriracha, for example, is a fermented hot sauce. Hmm. Kombucha? Like, kombucha, yep, yep. Anything you want to ferment. Giardiniera, so a, nice, a nice Italian pickle relish. He can, he can speed that along. The fermenter. Kimchi. You don't <laughs> need to bury it in the yard anymore. It's ready. That Icelandic shark. Harkel. You went from having no ideas to too many ideas. Thank you for Rob, Michael, Greg, and Gunny. Patreon.com slash iFanboy is where you can go to support the show. Get your superpower to $5 or higher level. Thank you very much. We'll do one email. Carl C. writes and says, I'll admit I'm a sucker for licensed comics. Most are bad, but sometimes they're really well done. For example, the Babylon 5 comic gave detailed backstories on important characters and revealed things before the show itself. What's a property that you'd like to see given a comic? My picks would be the Destiny video game, which desperately needs more world building, and a comic telling story based on the book Ready Player One. My original answer to this was going to be I don't like licensed comics, and then I looked back on our, this rundown and realized we talked about three of them. For me, I know I just brought it up, but I actually was texting with a friend about this recently, and Animorphs, I don't know what staying power that's had in the cultural consciousness, but that was a book series I loved as a kid and think it would look really cool as a well-done licensed comic. Well, what are your thoughts in general on licensed comics? Star Wars is a licensed comic, even though Disney owns Marvel and Star Wars, but it's basically a licensed comic. Conan the Barbarian is a licensed comic, and Rick and Morty, obviously, is a licensed comic. So what are your... Yeah, that's an interesting way to frame it. So for me, I've never read any of the original Conan stories. Have you? Comics I've read. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. But yeah, like, I've read some of those. Yeah, but you never read the pulp. No, and I've only, I've seen the movies. Obviously, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Yeah. So for me, the earliest Conan stories that I really plugged into were the Kurt Busiek, Cary Noir, Dark Horse comics. Oh wow! All right. But yeah, I'm not. I, I didn't read the older. Is it Roy Thomas stuff? You're young. 
<laughs> Sorry. That was also when I was right, you know, that hit me right when I was getting back into comics. Live, Ryan, live. <laughs> In a similar way, my probably my first experience with Conan was a mixture of you know, Conan the Barbarian with Arnold Schwarzenegger and then the and then the Marvel comics. So in my mind, they were sort of the same kind of thing. You know, when you're a kid, there's less rigid barriers to your entertainment. Yeah. So there's association with with the comics in the same way that G.I. Joe was a comic and a cartoon and a toy line. To me, it was all the same thing as a kid. So in my mind, it's a comic series first because that's where the most storytelling for G.I. Joe was. So that one in my brain gets a pass even though i don't really read them anymore i don't read them anymore things like this comic's based on a tv show i really don't have any interest on yeah i don't either based on a movie i don't really have an interest in i only read the rick and morty just because it's a show i like and then it actually had an art you know an author that i was familiar with in kyle starks and even then i i wasn't reading it before it's just every once in a while when i do the show with you guys i look for sort of a out of left field sure. book to, to so i can you know so i can contribute something a little bit unique from my presence on the show and then as for Star Wars, like, I don't know, Star Wars, it's sometimes it's nice to just spend 10 minutes in the Star Wars universe. And so that's why I read the comics. It's not sure. I, I, I don't have a particularly strong feeling one way or the other on the property as a comic book. But like, I don't I don't think if I watched 10 minutes of the movie, it would be satisfactory. But I don't have enough time. In it the depends day. on what 10 minutes. Yeah, it's true. But see, to me, it and we, I had a long public uh, wrestling with my Star Wars feelings uh, on this show and on the uh, special edition shows. But for that one, I came down on the side of I, I want fewer Star Wars in my life. But that's a special case. Mostly my aversion to license books is that they're usually not good. Yeah, or that's an issue. What you talked about with Rick and Morty is in that some things work better in live action. And I think what happened was there was a time in the early 2000s where there was a lot of licensed books. And there's still a lot of them. IDW basically exists for licensed comics. But, you know, there was a time where properties that I enjoyed were getting licensed books. And I was trying to read them, 24 and The Shield and things like that, TV shows. And you just find that some things work better as a TV show. I mean, Buffy was an exception. I really enjoyed Buffy Season 8, even though I hadn't watched the show since, like, Season 3 or 4. That was really well done. They got really good people to do that book. It was a... It was it had really talented creators behind them. Most of their, most of them, I don't want to call it, it's harsh to say, but most of them are just sort of cash grabs. Utilize the name, sell a few books to the fans of the show, and, and move on. And the thing that was unique about Buffy Season 8, I think there's two things that, that Buffy that Season 8... went five years? Well, yeah, there's that. Well, but there's two things I think Buffy Season 8 did right when it began. Maybe it kind of ran out of steam with this. Is One, I think it helps when your licensed property is a property that is no longer being made in any other medium. Mm-hmm. And... The thing that opens up in, for example, in the Buffy world is you can actually tell a story that has ramifications where I feel like a lot of times the licensed comics, you feel like you're just kind of spinning your wheels to kill time before the next actual version of the thing, the actual movie, the actual TV show comes back so that you can tell the real story. Right. And so not only are they often not as well made from a craft standpoint as comics made just to be comics, but they often aren't allowed either through the licensing arrangement or whatever to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a death knell in terms of me wanting to be interested in it. That's a tough one-two punch to come back from. I mean, I'm not against like comic book adaptations of books. You know, the, obviously the Parker series was terrific, but that's because mm-hmm. Darwin Cook did them. I'm sure if Darwin Cook had done a other licensed book, it would have been terrific because he's a, he's a singular creator. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the quality of the people making the book. And usually... Usually, for licensed books, 
there, it's not that high. But then there's all kinds of, you know, Dynamite's done, you know, Flash Gordon books and and. I mean, James uh, Bond is technically a licensed property, and the James right. Bond origin book is great. But you got you put a guy like Jeff Parker and right. Bob Q on it, and it it so it reads well and it looks good. <laughs> and because it's you know James Bond's origin, which they're unlikely to do an origin movie, especially since Daniel Craig is still working out. They already working. did an origin movie. It was called Casino Royale. Yeah, the original, the Peter Sellers one. No, the first Daniel Craig one was his origin story. I was kidding. Was making a jokey joke. It comes down to to me the quality of the the book, and usually they're pretty low, so I usually tend to avoid them. Do you have thoughts on Ready Player One as a comic? I don't need that. Yeah, I mean, I, I really disliked the movie. The book was really fun to read, but I don't know that it was a good book. I'll tell you, a, a, sim- a very similar book that I think would maybe work a little bit better is uh, Reem D. I have very complicated feelings about that. Obviously, as I'm, as I'm hurtling through fall, I'm about, uh, I've got about 250 pages left. Which is crazy to say. There's a fucking, like, Reem, that's a Reem full-size novel. Reem D and Ready Player One share a lot of DNA. It's weird. They do. Um, yes and no. But we'll get... That's that's a whole other conversation we don't have time for on the show. Carl C., thanks for writing in. Contact.ifanboy.com is where you can write in if you want to get your email on the show. Thanks for doing that. Let's talk about some shows that are out now and coming soon. So out now, you can find Josh's Talksplode interview with Tom King, which is doing very well. It's one of our most popular Talksplodes ever. It's good. I'm not all the way through it, but it's a very enjoyable conversation. So that was a show that the patrons unlocked, and you can find that back on our feed. And behind that is another show that the patrons unlocked. It's the sister show. We alternate months between the Talksplode and the Booksplode. The Booksplode, Daredevil Born Again, is behind the Tom King one back there in the feed. You can find that, as well as Paul and I talking about X-Men Dark Phoenix. That's all back there as well. Coming soon... In fact, next week will be a review on Spider-Man Far From Home. There'll be some grouping of iFanboy people talking about it, at least me and Paul, I think. Possibly they really Josh. threw me with that, that weird midweek release. Yeah, it's a holiday holiday week release. And yeah. then um, July is our next Booksplode show, and Josh and I have decided it's going to be Planetary Book 2. We're going to finish the loop on that. We did Planetary Book 1 a few months ago, and Josh has never actually finished reading Planetary, so this is going to be his first time finishing the series. I mean, it about. is a book that the creators barely finished making right so. that's true it took them about, it took them what 10 years to get the final issue up <laughs> so we'll get that out in july that'll be the next book explode we actually have the final two book explodes of the year penciled in i'm not going to tell you what they are because things could change and there's always new ideas that we get but for right now we have the rest of the year penciled in for the book explodes so check those out coming soon and then in august ryan and paul and i'll be talking about batman hush at some point so those are the shows yeah. coming soon couldn't get them to do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, guys. I tried. <laughs> I do a podcast called Science Sort Of. Or we just had our patron hangout last night for June. We sort of ran out of time in the month. So we're, we're working on um, smoothing out the, the it's bumps hard. in the road. It's on hard to that. get those it is, it, is, it is hard. But our next episode coming out is episode 311. And it's actually a pretty cool one. We cover the ideas that Neanderthals ate rotten meat and, and some of the chemical signaling that make, make the paleo diet less accurate than people think, as well as the carbon footprint of various modern diets. And then there's been a recent trend in paleontology to 3D scan fossils, and that leads to some interesting rights issues because the museum owns the fossil who owns the 3D scan of that fossil. So cool stuff coming down the pike over on sciencesortof.com, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you're getting this iFanboy podcast, you can probably get our show from the same place. And speaking of hangouts, if you're listening to this show, the date comes out Sunday, and your patron tonight is our June hangout. Getting it under the wire, as you said. Right? Scheduling can be a challenge, but we always try to get it in. It's usually right under the wire, but tonight is the hangout. If you're listening on Sunday, 
whatever Sunday's date is, the 30th, that's the date. That's our, our June hangout is. Head over to fanboy.com to find all of our podcasts, the ones we mentioned above or, or previous. It's above only if you have the script like I do. Find out what the pick week is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy or following at ifanboy on Twitter. You can also follow us at ifanboycomics on Instagram. You can find out what the pick week is, but you can also see the best of the week in panels feature. And as I said before, at Comic-Con, there'll be some content there pictures maybe some live video i'm not sure what i'm gonna do with it there but there'll be i'll I'll be using instagram there instead of twitter and you can follow us individually at haupt on twitter and at ryan haupt on instagram that's h-a-u-p-t and at jay flanagan on twitter and instagram for our missing friend josh and c.s kilpatrick on instagram a bit more active on instagram i post a picture of a a garden i I saw saw that you were you were in denver i was was the mile high city of donvier i was i was a little tipsy and i was at a garden it was great that's that's good (laughs) Denver, yeah, a lot, a lot of good beer in Colorado. <laughs> were you only tipsy? Uh, yes, I was only tipsy. You were in Colorado. All things in moderation, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's that's legal here in DC too. I don't gotta go to Colorado for that. All right. So, <laughs> if you dig the show, write us a review or leave a star rating on iTunes. Uh, there's lots of different places to get your podcast these days. If you get your podcast from somewhere else, you can leave a review there. But iTunes, you know, having one nice aggregated source is helpful. So check that out. iTunes until it goes away, anyway. Right until it be until the legacy of Steve Jobs is chipped away at yet again, or better yet, <laughs> tell your friends about us. It cannot be emphasized enough that podcasting really only gets spread via word of mouth. Uh, we don't have a budget for marketing. It's not even a stretch goal. It's just up to you guys to to get the word out and tell everyone you know about podcasting. Let your mom know about the show. That, that, that about does it. Just spread the love, everyone. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Ryan, for jumping in again with short notice. I will. Uh... I have to reward you somehow for doing this. You've been you saved my ass twice in the last couple of months, so I appreciate it. Oh, well, I'm, I'm just going to use the Amazon affiliate page to go buy my own crampons and go find Josh. <laughs> so, if you found Josh, that would probably be great. Well, probably, we'll see. Most likely. All right. Till next time. I'm Connor. I'm Ryan. 